Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old soundtracks for some reason. This is Nick. This is Chris. And this is Caleb. And this week, it's my pick. I picked a soundtrack that is near and dear to me uh, from 1983. I remember it well. I was two years old. Uh, the Big Chill soundtrack. Yeah, right. Big Chill. Big Chill, yeah. been meaning to watch this movie. This is a movie that I, I watched when I was young. Uh, and I rewatched, I think, for the first time in, you know, I guess decades. But this is a soundtrack that I, I think is famous, famously good. And I think I own it on vinyl. This is like a kind of a touchstone soundtrack. So I'm excited to talk about it. Iconic soundtrack, iconic movie. Had you never seen it, Nick? I had never seen it. Wow. Very enjoyable. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Both the movie and wow. the soundtrack. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's about a group of college friends that um, years later after college, they reunite after the death of their friend Alex. So it's the funeral, and they just decide to sort of like overstay their welcome at a, <laughs> a friend's house in Beaufort, South Carolina. It's a bunch of a story of a bunch of boomers trying to uh, trying to take account of what they become in the eighties. <laughs> they don't like what they see. Yeah, <laughs> yuppies. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm glad that you finally got to watch it. Let's jump into the first track, and then we can dive into the movie. Let's hear track one. This is Marvin Gaye with I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Marvin Gaye. This was Marvin Gaye's first number one hit. Wow. This and, is, uh, yeah, one of the best songs. This is, I think that Gladys Knight and the Pips recorded it first. This is one of those like uh, Motown, Motown tracks yeah. that they had everybody record and then kind of like... Shotgun approach. They'd pass it around and send it out to the uh, radio stations. And then I think that Charles Darwin would agree that this was the, the best version <laughs> my, at the time and probably for decades to come. My exposure to this song growing up was actually uh, from the cover that uh, Credence did. Oh, yeah. That yeah. My uh, dad listened to a bunch. It's a very long version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine, too. It's like an 11-minute version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah. It's was, a pretty faithful cover. That's probably the first time I heard it growing oh, up was that cover. Yeah. But um, I probably I probably heard it for the first time when I was two years old watching Watch The Big Chill. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> Getting existential. <laughs> I thought it's still a good, maybe great movie. I think it's a good movie. I love this movie. It's uh, nominated for multiple Oscars. Yeah. Lawrence Kasdan, mm -hmm. uh, fresh off of writing, you know, every movie that made the 70s and 80s, you know. <laughs> What the Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. Silverado. Silverado, I think. Yeah, it was like right after. I like Silverado. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this this song is playing while um, somebody is like, you know, dressing, like a mortician is dressing a corpse and you don't quite understand what's happening. There's like buttons being buttoned and like Over the wrist, being you can see the... Yeah, and then at the end it shows the stitches in the wrist and... It's cut between everyone finding, like, hearing the news of the death of their friend Alex mm -hmm. and uh, 
I guess the the trivia fact is that it was Kevin Costner. Yeah, yeah. It was his face uh, that they never showed. Right. They like filmed some scenes, they, I, think, I think, and then it got cut. It was like towards they the end. Some flashbacks. Flashbacks. Yeah. There yeah. was a there was a scene of them all together at a college bar. And it just like didn't work, and they completely cut Kevin Costner out of the movie. <laughs> but I think it was a, a really good move because it's definitely like the Rebecca, like the essence of that person is so like it permeates the movie, but you never see their face, yeah. and it's better that you don't. It was a great move, but I so I think this is the first time I watched it in HD, and I had my eyes peeled. I just wanted to see like a photo of Kevin Costner hanging somewhere. Yeah, and I was so bummed out. I don't think there is any. I think. It's a little bit of like a holy grail because I don't think uh, Kasdan's ever released any of the footage from the cutscenes. So mm. There's like nobody's seen like Kevin Costner, but uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's his body. And it's a great, so it's kind of a fake out where it's shot like it's somebody getting ready to exactly. go out and they're putting on like because you see them like uh, like shining, shining their shoes, shoes and stuff. And- but then at one point. I think with the buttons, it's kind of clear that somebody couldn't be buttoning their own shirt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, from the outside. Yeah, yeah, quite an opening for a it's film. A, it's yeah. a great opening. I think I'm a little uh, too young for this, but you might remember I heard it through the grapevine when it was repopularized in 1987 to uh, help boost uh, raisin sales. Oh, I remember this very clearly. It was the like, California, California Raisins commercial. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. The I hate. was terrified of those raisins <laughs> when I was a baby. It's the salad days of claymation. Yeah, yeah. man. It's un racist. It's pretty like Ooh, I don't know. That's the thing. Yeah, okay. California raisins. It's uh, I I would say yes to be on the safe side, but um, it's one of those things you're like it feels weird <laughs> to like these. Yeah. <laughs> like Kelsey has a shirt that is the California raisins, and I'm like. Maybe I don't wear this. It's probably racist, but I think it's off-putting enough just on its own merits that nobody has to take it down. It's kind of yeah. like, yeah, yeah. This is, it's freaky because it's claymation. <laughs> so I don't know. You guys want to jump into track two? Let's do it. This is the Temptations with my girl. It's one of the earlier Temptations um, hits. It definitely and obviously written by uh, Smokey Robinson. Like that, you can hear him singing it, even though he's not singing it. Yeah, I think that he cut a version at some point, but uh, this was like the one that took off. Yeah, I didn't realize Smokey Robinson the previous year wrote a song called "My Guy" for the Motown singer Mary Wells. Nice. It kind of had the same sentiment, but from a female perspective. Baby got back. <laughs> Put them on the glass. <laughs> <laughs> Same deal. If it yeah. works for my girl, maybe it'll work for my guy. That was, uh, it's been used in a lot of movies. That was in the Macaulay Culkin and Anna Chlumsky movie, My Girl, and the sequel, My Girl 2. And it's, it's also in My Girl 2. There is a sequel. There is. I guess it's like uh, what happens the after bees? the beat. Yeah. yeah, Revenge of the Bees. <laughs> Not the bees. Doesn't, doesn't Culkin die? Yeah. Okay. He gets stung to death retrieving I a mood ring for the, Anna Chomsky. Well, the titular girl can still survive for the second film. I think it was just a different uh, uh, two 
children. Oh, okay. Well, I was hoping that it was Anna Chomsky again, and then somebody else gets attacked like by bees. Hornets this time. And it's like, it's like It, where she's an adult now. All right. Th- this movie is kind of like It, in a weird way. Oh, yeah. You know, it's all a bunch of friends, like, reuniting to, like, you know, instead of battle some clown, it's battled their own, like, inner, like, early life crisis. I don't yeah. know. But their inner demons. I had a, so I had a little thought exercise for you guys where um, I, we talk a lot on this podcast, I feel like, about the kind of the cultural gulf between the 60s to the 70s to the 80s. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've, I've become untethered from time and I'm starting to like try to realize how maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm now the age of the characters in this film, maybe even a little bit older. You guys, we're all kind of like yeah. in the same. Yeah, it's like, um, I guess they're in their 30s. Yeah, so we, uh, the three of us, have we're not the same age to have been in college at the same time. I guess maybe you guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a little bit of a thought experiment. So they, at one point, Kevin Klein is the one who, uh, he's he persists in playing the music that they listened to when they were all in college throughout yeah. the entire weekend. And Jeff Goldblum makes fun of him because he's like, it's the fucking 80s. Like, you know, some good music has been, he's like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, he's like, like what? Yeah, yeah. And like, uh, Kevin, Kevin of, Klein. Uh, New Order? but like kevin klein i guess is kind of um as far as the podcast is concerned the villain of the piece because he's the one that gets stuck in his like nostalgic taste for music and never moves on which is something i guess we really against but uh so they're listening to this like classic music that i always you know it seems like so old and they're in the 80s and they're kind of making fun of him so the equivalent if we all got together with our friends now <laughs> The year is 2021. This sounds stressful already. I'm going to read off just a few of the bands that would be playing nostalgically in the background. And is, it, of, is it still good or, or well, we, we were kind of questioning, how did we like this? No, no, no. I just picked some songs that are like, these are great songs. And it's like, we can just listen to them and be like, oh man, it's nostalgic. Uh, we could listen to Young Folks by Peter Bjorn and John. Yeah. Oh man, throwback. Throwback. <laughs> Gnarls Barkley with Crazy. Wow. Yeah, like I remember couple, that. Was that a year ago? <laughs> Sexy Back with Justin Timberlake. Oh, yeah. Come on, Kevin. Don't put that song <laughs> on. Yeah. You know that some new music has been written. This so yeah. was your favorite song, Chris. <laughs> when We Were Young by The Killers. Yeah. And I don't yeah. feel like these, that song's much different from the music happening now. But For me, it'd be like MGMT and like Passion Pit and like just kind like of that. what we talked so about in the like, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist episode. Yeah, yeah. We're like, oh, man, it's already been like. <laughs> You know, like one, an era has already passed somehow. But if you think about, so say you were into like Devo or something, right? It's 1983. And yeah. you're just like, this is fucking the sick shit. And somebody puts on The Temptations. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? like, oh man, I haven't even thought about that musical genre now. But now it'd be like LCD sound system. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I still, wait, wait, I don't. <laughs> yeah, they all went to the. <laughs> it's so weird to think about. <laughs> They we went to the University of Michigan together, and uh, I think they're supposedly supposed to have not seen each other for about like fifteen years. Yeah, or well, I think they I'll, have, but like it's yeah, been fifteen years since college. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah. so. It's closing in on that for me. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, I've seen this movie at several points in my life, and uh, this time it hit uh, the hardest. Yeah, it's <laughs> it really like, different. Ooh, <laughs> a little close to home. Yeah, it's hard for me. I like uh, the characters in this movie will always be boomers to me, and in, in that way, they'll always be the age of my parents, even as I am now uh, probably older than the characters. We should also give a shout out to uh, the Temptations for their groundbreaking choreography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always in succinct movements mm-hmm. with beautiful suits. 
<laughs> yeah, that that was uh, Charlie Atkins was their choreographer. Oh, nice. Yeah, game changer. Yeah, I kind of think straight guys need to be choreographed uh, succinctly in bands again. <laughs> I think that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. like, it's kind oh. of a forgotten thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like the whole like Motown kind of doo-wop uh, choreography was like, it kind of felt like uh, like these you had like four or five guys and they were like pitching something to you. It was a lot of like waving. A lot of hands. A lot of like pointing to the crowd, like this part, and then they go to the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, groovy. Uh, what do we got next, Nikki? Let's jump into track number three. This is The Rascals with Good Levin. Uh, they're definitely doing kind of, um, I mean, an, imitating the British invasion, probably like a, a Rolling Stones knockoff band uh, from New Jersey. Uh, I don't think they wrote that song. That was like another songwriter. I was a little confused by the artist. There's the Young Rascals and the Rascals. It's the same band, but they, band. they dropped the Young. Well, who is Rascal Flats? <laughs> right. Yeah. Same band. Same, same band. band? Same, same band. Okay, same band. yeah, that makes sense. No, no. It's Stood the, the test of time. In the grand tradition of Romeo and Lil Romeo. Yeah. And Bow Wow and Lil Bow Wow. I think this song kind of falls. And Bow Wow Wow. <laughs> I think this song kind of falls victim to uh, kind of what happened with Italo disco in like the late seventies, early eighties, where every song was titled "Hold On" for some reason. So like around this time, "Good Levin" was a really popular song title, yeah. and a lot of people used that. There's there was Bad Company with "Good Levin Gone Bad." There was Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell with "Good Levin Ain't Easy to Come By." There was Tammy Wynette with Good Levin. There was even some bad Levin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, th- I think I think that this song falls victim to um, something that apparently that I read. I mean, this could be apocryphal, but I read that it was a knock on the soundtrack. This was like a very high-selling, famous soundtrack. <laughs> and I think this was a film. I mean, music is featured very prominently in the film. And it's a film where... At the end of it, you would you would want to be like, I gotta I gotta listen to those songs again. I haven't listened to those songs, and these are they put out two volumes, and there's extended versions and whatever. There's a lot of music. Yeah, we're doing the uh, the original. This is just the original ten tracks. Uh, but anyways, apparently the it it created a certain amount of nostalgia craze for the music of the mid '60s that a lot of it started to appear in advertisements. Oh, no. I think that they realized in watching this movie, they're like, oh, yeah, all those fucking boomers yeah. who loved all this music, they now have money. And it's like, and this is why growing up, all this music was ruined for us, especially this song, because this song is like specifically talking about going to see a doctor for some reason. <laughs> and so I, I feel like I've seen it in like, you know, 1500 <laughs> uh, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical ads. Yeah, yeah. Purple pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like Lawrence Kasdan. Larry Kasdan, I think, is he's older than a boomer so i think that he you know he had enough of kind of a removed perspective to be like oh yeah i wonder what all those fucking hippies are doing now they're probably like feeling real guilty and shit uh so he made this movie and i think it's very poignant 
And I think the advertising agencies were just like, yes. I think the rascals like were a little bit surprised by the success of the track. And uh, Felix Cavalier, one of the members of uh, the Rascals, said, like, we weren't too pleased with our performance. And it was a real shock to us when it went to the top of the charts. I think maybe it was like they recorded the song as some filler material just to tack on the end of an album. And then they were like, oh, my goodness, people love this. Well, they probably, What's going on? It's probably one of those situations where they went in, recorded the vocals and all their parts, and then they left and like the, uh, the wrecking crew like, got brought in to yeah. re-record everything. Because this is like this is like a real like a uh, music industry song where it's like somebody wrote it. You got a group of like mop top like Beatle wannabe guys. You get them to come in and then you like re-record everything and you push it real hard. Right, kind of like what happened with the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not quite, not quite. Yeah, with the monkeys. But, uh, yeah. Monkeys was a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> First. But that is true that the you know there is that interview where the monkeys thought that they were going to be playing and like writing their own music. They're like, they're like no, 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 not no, quite, no, 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 actually, yeah, yeah. we call you the monkeys because you ape thing. You're, you're not a real band. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about the uh, uh, organ grinder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I do like that. I, you know, I haven't been talking much about these tracks, like uh, evaluating whether I like them or not, because these are all classic tracks that I, I, I love them all. Yeah. Uh, but let's uh, get into the next one. Let's hear track four. This is Smokey Robinson and the Miracles with the Tracks of My Tears. People say I'm the life of the party cause I tell a joke or two. Yeah, man. Smokey Robinson, he casts a large shadow on the soundtrack. I think, I feel like he probably performed one or two, like, wrote a lot of the wrote music. Wrote a lot of it. I mean, this guy was a giant of the 60s. Like, think about all the music that we grew up with that he wrote. And, uh, yeah. I think I talked about in some episode that he spoke at my graduation and just talked about his ear surgery the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were trying to push him off the stage. <laughs> But if you do get ear surgery, listen to me. (laughs) What is his, um, what's the timeline of Smokey Robinson and the bands he's worked with? Do you guys know? Well, he was, I think he was the first successful act for Motown. Okay. I think that he, uh, Smokey Robinson, the Miracles cut like a couple early tracks that he probably wrote. And that's kind of what got Motown moving. Mm -hmm. And then as they brought in more groups, he was kind of one of the principal songwriters and performers. And, uh, it was a lot of like, God, it must've just been beautiful chaos. And at the end, uh, Barry Gordy just ended up with all the contracts and it was Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? (laughs) Where do I sign Mr. Barry Gordy? (laughs) Like somebody get knock on Barry's door and then like the windows open. (laughs) (laughs) Flapping (laughs) blinds. Um, that song ended up being covered by, uh, go West in, uh, 1993 and also, Adam Lambert in 2009. Get on, yeah, Adam. Stood the test of time? Yeah, that's a great song. It's a great song. It's a great sad love song, which is, uh, they're always the best ones. It was uh, repopularized in 86 as well when it was in Oliver Stone's movie Platoon. Yeah, which Tom Berenger is also 
Tom Berenger, we haven't talked about us. Sam Weber, aka JT Lancer, who's like a, yeah, tack- Magnum PI type tackling guy. Tackling the, yeah. the problem of how do you play an actor less famous than yourself? <laughs> uh, it's pretty, he's playing kind of a Tom Selleck type. Yeah, yeah very yeah. much it's, so. It must be a dig at a. I remember, so Larry Kasdan wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm. and. Uh, Indiana Jones was originally cast. It was going to be Tom Selleck, and he couldn't get out of his Magnum PI contract, and yeah. so it went to Harrison Ford. And uh, I don't know if it just like you know Kasdan. Maybe he like had a bunch of meetings with Tom Selleck, and it's kind of like this is an interesting guy. Like, what's it? What's it like to be like a guy who grew up like wanting to be an actor, and now you're like uh, jumping into sports cars and this cheesy like. And that's like, I think <laughs> something we forget about. This is the era where TV was garbage. Yeah. It was all just fucking people throwing garbage at your face and like the <laughs> gulf between a film actor and a TV actor. And I think that's a little bit of uh, something baked into the character that I think at the time you would understand that now we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's in a TV show. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But movies were amazing, and then if you were an actor that was stuck in this godforsaken yeah, yeah. prison called so television, he's yeah. like losing your mind. He's like sold his soul, yeah. And that's in the same way that we're supposed to understand that Jeff Goldblum's character wanted to be a serious writer, and now he's doing like uh, articles for People magazine. A yeah, poor journalist who writes for <laughs> yeah, People magazine. Like, like, like our like our conception of selling out has uh, has evolved to the point where it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, you're like doing some pieces for people you're living in new york like maybe you work on other side projects but at the time you're just like this fucking you used to go to protests man you used to go to protests yeah now you got a job you got a job you (laughs) fucking piece of shit now it's like bringing a bunch of condoms to a funeral (laughs) that's right yeah there's that shot of him unpacking and he just brings like a buttload of condoms with him goldblum is the biggest sex pest in this whole fucking thing And, uh, I mean, th- this song is playing when he's just basically talking about journalism with uh, Meg, who is played by Mary Kay Parker. Yes, and that's right. And she's asking everybody, and she, like Gold- Jeff Goldman's like, hey, uh, perfect, uh, I'll give you a, a baby. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she's like, mm, no, instead yeah. I'm going <laughs> to end up with somebody's husband to give me this baby. Here's, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Yeah. Here is my take. We'll get into my it. My take on Goldblum in this film is, I don't know if there's uh, some kind of like 80s racism baked into the part, or if it's just kind of... I don't know, but it, you know he's presented as the one unfuckable character in yeah. like this uh, this broad range of flawed characters. He's the one that nobody wants to fuck, and he, you know, if you look at all these actors now, he's Jeff Goldblum, who is in life like maybe a little bit of a sex pest, but uh, you know, maybe adorably so. I don't know. Yeah, he's time like, will tell. <laughs> he's elevated to like silver foxdom, where if you yeah. like uh, Jeff Goldblum looks great now, he's like stylish and funny and weird. And everybody else looks, uh, you know, good, but they look like the old people that they've become. Mm-hmm. It's very true. He gets a last laugh. <laughs> yeah, he, like, Gold plays Blum. jazz piano as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's Goldblum's like got it all. Cool guy in New York that's a journalist, <laughs> and everyone's like, gross, get out of here. Yeah, yeah it's like the one woman, she's, like, working uh, for some corporation defending them against, like, uh you know the epa or something yeah, it's Meg. And, yeah. and we're supposed to look down on jeff goldblum <laughs> yeah i know sure she's complaining in in this scene about like ah, now i like i i was talking to the people i'm defending as a lawyer and it turns out they're murderers <laughs> and you're like gross yeah i don't know like what do you want to say what do you want to say <laughs> all right nikki what do we have next should we jump into track five let's do it this is three dog night with joy to the world 
Yeah, uh, Nikki, you were talking about the Rascals and how they were like a little bit uh, down on their big hit. And this is... Uh, yeah, another case of uh, a little bit similar. of surprise from the band. I think that that was probably something that ran rampant in the 60s and 70s where bands... This is, a, this is a song, again, not written by the band. It was written by, I guess, a folk artist who I don't think... I think that this was the first uh, version released, but it wasn't written by them. And I think that a lot of these bands got kind of managed into recording like more hooky songs than mm-hmm. they were writing. Yeah. And then they always kind of like shit on them in interviews. Like, oh yeah, like we didn't really like that song as much as we... And it's like, yeah, that's your best song, man. Just own it. <laughs> you didn't write it. It's yeah, your best song to record. was written by Hoyt Axton, who his mother, May Axton, co-wrote Elvis's hit, Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, they were the first um, mother-son pair to write top... A number one number record one to records. be credited with a number one record. Cool. Yeah. Do you guys know where Three Dog Night got their band name from? Uh... Let me guess. Is this a joke? Is it like a, I th- so always three dogs a, walk into a bar? I thought it was one. peyote. <laughs> no, what, what is the story? They got their band name from an old Australian Aborigine saying that uh, would go along the lines of, if it was a cold night, you slept with dogs for warmth. The next day you might tell a friend, man, it was a three dog night last night. And I guess because of that, they were mistaken for an Australian band for some chunk of time. Nice. And, People realize that they're from California. Yeah, man, they're a California <laughs> band. I think, uh, so I wanted to say this is probably the druggiest moment of the soundtrack. Yeah. And I thought it would be an interesting time to uh, to how, see how you guys feel about the uh, the drug use in this film. Some exciting stuff. I mean. Well, there's the one friend played by... Uh, William Hurt. William by Hurt. William Hurt. He's the drug dealer. Yeah. There are a lot of pieces in this film that uh, I think I had misinterpreted or like missed when I was a kid watching it. Like what? Uh, like him, like, uh, there's the oh, the one uh, lady brings her husband who's just like a square. It's Karen with her husband, Richard. Who everybody just looks down upon. <laughs> They're like, who are you? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> but he like comes by, he's like, oh, you're like working on your, your old Porsche there. You want some help? And, yeah. And <laughs> he, just, he just has like a brick of cocaine like yeah. taped yeah. under his car, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I missed the part where... I remember you know, there's a lot of pills, and I was like, this guy's got the pills. But uh, yeah, the candy he, man. he like gives uh, Jeff Goldblum a quaalude just to like get him to pass out and stop pestering people, which is pretty funny. <laughs> One of the things I thought was funny was that, uh, you know, his character gets really high on cocaine, and he's just kind of like being a weird house guest. And <laughs> yeah. He's just like rummaging around through the living room, and he finds like a video camera yeah. that he sets up and starts like filming interviews, and then all the friends get together and like watch the interviews that he films with them. Yeah. I, I thought that was, I think it was a great way to do exposition in this movie. Cause you're like, what's this Nick character's deal? Like mm-hmm. he's, he seems aloof and weird and cool and he's doing drugs. And then he basically reveals within that like self interview, what he's been up to. Cause right. it, it's, it's tricky when you've got a, a movie with like eight main characters, like how to get each of their stories out. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a fantastically written film. 
uh, because they're able to do that in different sort mm-hmm. of ways. But I, I think uh, William Hurt's character is probably the most interesting in this whole movie. Yeah, and I, then for some reason, Jeff Goldblum, like towards the end, also gets really interested in the video camera. Well, because he interviews like, people. That's his... Uh, yeah, and it just cuts to him, trip. and he's like reading the manual and trying to figure out how to use <laughs> oh, the camera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's so great. I uh, Yeah, I love William Hurt. I think that, that that character probably could have been a lot less interesting with a different actor, but... Uh, there's a couple of things as a kid. I so there's implications that so he was the only friend who got sent to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It sounds like yeah, and uh, the repercussions of that have like left him like scarred physically and emotionally. But also there was like he apparently also was uh, was Fraser for like a short period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, San Francisco 101. <laughs> I'm listening. That was kind. Of, I'm like. I'm trying to think of like all the things that have happened to me since college. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't go to war and I didn't fucking become Frazier and then quit being Frazier. It's like, this guy is like for the friend that's not doing anything. He's done. He's had like an entire lifetime. Everybody in this movie is wildly successful. I know. It's like, oh, I got it. I'm JT. I'm on a hit TV show. And I'm like, I'm a powerful lawyer. Oh, I'm a journalist. Kevin Klein is like, I discovered, uh, I've discovered running. <laughs> And yeah. it was like probably in the eighties too. It was kind of like the jogging. The sensation. characters are like looking at, at shoes, like it was the first like running shoe they've ever seen, which is like kind of a period where it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, when Nike started to take off. Yeah, there's, like, there's this thing called jogging. Is yeah. it jogging? Is it jogging? Yeah. Soft. <laughs> it's European. Uh, we talked a little bit when we did the uh, the Empire Records episode about how nobody like knowing now watching the film the main character is doomed because he owns a record store yeah and you're like this poor bastard has no idea and in this one uh kevin klein has a he has a chain of like uh you know it's, it's running gear yeah run like running dog and you're oh. like this guy is gonna be so fucking rich yeah <laughs> and he's already like in the movie you're like oh yeah i'm gonna be rich he's, he keeps trying to like uh insider trade with insider people trade like, yeah. like i'm about to get bought by this company buy my stock he's a real yeah. loosey goosey he's just yeah. trying to tell everybody he's committing so many crimes it's like uh, that friend that's super successful and won't shut up about it and you're like we get it man yeah he's like i gotta show my gains to someone glenn close doesn't care yeah but i mean there's like running is enough of a thing in 1983 or whatever do we we're just supposed to understand that he has now become more successful than he thought he was going to be but like yeah fast forward 20 years this guy's gonna be a real Republican voter, if you get what I'm saying. Oh yeah, in uh. Beaufort, South Carolina? Surely not. Um, also, his Kevin Klein's Southern accent in this comes and goes. It's really funny because you know Kevin Klein sort of talks like this, and he's like, uh, "Are you gonna get on the next flat?" <laughs> like every once in a while, he'll just throw a random like Southern twang on a word, and you're like, "That you you." go all in or don't do it at all i was <laughs> very i was very blindsided by the fact that kevin klein is by far the worst part of this movie <laughs> not because of anything except for the accent i and i love kevin klein i think he's fine Yo, in this movie i, I really like yeah. kevin klein but it's like his they, jogging shorts are a little too short a little too yeah well, okay bit. well agree to disagree but uh i just Caleb. feel like they all went to college in michigan it's like yeah the the accent isn't working larry like we just cut the accent he's just a guy from michigan like everybody else in this movie like no let him do it i I trust kevin klein let him do what he wants to do it's fine but it took me out of the movie a little bit the last thing i'll say about a joy to the world three dog night is that uh it was originally pitched to step in wolf before three dog night took the song and Mm. apparently 
John Kay from Steppenwolf said that he was, you know, he got pitched the song and he was like, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> it's like, no way. It doesn't make any sense. He's like, ah, that's a kid's song. Why would I be friends with a bullfrog? It's uh, not a good friend. But then of all of the, you know, Three Dogs Night branding because of the success of that song, everything that they sold at concerts was just like frog shit. <laughs> it was just like, and they had like a hype guy that dressed up like a frog that would yeah. like go around the stadium. Bouncing they were just the like, song, oh yeah. man, now we're just like this frog band. This is, uh, this is playing, or the, the child of Kevin Klein and uh, Glenn Close is singing this in the bathtub at the very beginning. It's and, a very cute scene. And then it, yeah, yeah, it, it bookends the it film. It bookends the film. And they're like, we're never going to leave. <laughs> yeah, and, then like, it, and then it kind of ends. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the main criticism for the film. Is I that forgot the, the it ending. It doesn't really go anywhere. Somebody's like, they uh, just never basically leave the house. William Hurt's like, I, mean, I think I'm going to stay here a little bit. Maybe the implication is like, um, I'm going to you know clean out and try to figure out what to do with my life. Yeah. And everybody else is like, How, are we going to the airport together? Or are you driving? It's like, I don't want to drive with you. It's like, okay. But we are going to have to carpool, right? And it just cuts. And then... <laughs> Well, as I said up top, it's like this movie, it's meant to be about like, you know, existential crises of like 30 year olds, but it's really about like, don't invite your friends over to your home. Uh, they're all, sh- all of our friends are shitty and they're all going to overstay their welcome and they're going to take advantage. Like after five days of that, I'd be like, you guys need to leave. Every one of you, you guys are having You're sex to be there for like, you know, Saturday and Sunday. Because they're all Originally. cheating on your spouses, yeah. like doing drugs, getting the hell out of kids and kids. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I actually thought it, it seemed like a fun, I, you know, maybe I, maybe I love my friends too much. No, I know. I did. I would weekend with you guys but i did uh it, it in the quarantine world it is like a little bit like this has been a great weekend it's like well you know you can't travel right now it's like, and then it just like it should cut like a month later and everybody's just like still jogging <laughs> 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 gotta make the big chill too taking quaaludes <laughs> you guys we gotta to- get out of this house <laughs> you guys want to jump into track six let's do it this is the temptations with ain't too proud to beg Some more Motown goodies with this track. This uh, this track was written by uh, Norman Whitfield, who also wrote I Heard It Through the Grapevine that we heard first on the soundtrack. And with this song, he kind of did the same thing that he did with Marvin Gaye with uh, David Ruffin, who was the uh, singer for The Temptations on the track, where he had them sing higher than their normal range. And it's kind of created a little bit of a strained vocal. Yeah. But yeah, even Marvin Gaye was like, hey, man, like sometimes it's just good to take direction from the guy who wrote the song and uh, just let it be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine it not in that octave. You know? But yeah, you can kind of hear on Through the Grapevine, you can hear that it's a little up out of Marvin's range. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good good track. What do you guys think? Oh, oh, that's an amazing track. This great is- track. I feel like my brain has been a little bit infected that every time I, I think I definitely have listened to the song while like preparing a meal in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, I guess maybe one of the biggest 
cultural criticisms of this film and maybe of us in this room is that uh it's a lot of like black music and it's a bunch of white people dancing around appreciating it without <laughs> mentioning that there's ever exists anybody in the film that's not white it's very true uh, um, but it is you know they went to Michigan, so I don't know what to say, but... Yeah, uh, this is the iconic scene of them cleaning up after dinner, and it's like, you know, this is such goofy parents being like, yeah! Like, you know, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum butt-bumping other people in the kitchen, and you're like, can you... I, I Could I ever do that uh, <laughs> unironically in, like, a, a friend's home? Like, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> I'm too jaded. I could not uh, dance around with my friends listening to a record and like clean up after me. I, I, well, I don't clean up after a meal. I just <laughs> there's a thing about the '80s. Uh, '80s haircuts makes everybody still looks like moms and dads, mm-hmm. even though I know that they're. Uh, I don't know if the actors are, but the characters are supposed to be my age. But everybody looks like mom and dad. The style is actually pretty good, except for I like the clothing in the movie. Yeah, like the funeral clothing. They're going out clothing. Uh, William hurts like. Uh, cocaine clothing is like on point. Pretty cool. <laughs> Their loungewear, the weird like uh, everybody's got robes and shit, which I don't quite. Yeah, a lot yeah. of baggy clothing. A lot of pajamas. Sweat. People still wore pajamas. Yeah, yeah like a pajama Swe- suit. Sweatpants yeah. aren't a thing, I guess. Yet they got invented in maybe 1985. I don't know how. It's. I mean, and it's also it's South Carolina, so like no matter what time of the year, it would be just <laughs> like you'd be sweating inside. And everyone's wearing like terry cloth robes. A lot of people crap, are yeah. wearing like a full formal pajama with like a like a comforting robe on top of it. <laughs> formal pajamas. <laughs> a formal pajama. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the town that they're staying in looks amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom Berenger thought the same thing, and uh, yeah. after the movie, I think years later, he liked the town so much he bought a place in, oh, in nice. Beaufort. South I think he, wow. Yeah, one of the one of the actors. I think it was him. He got married like on the the estate that they filmed. Yeah, yeah, he did. Oh, he, he did. Way too close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's beautiful. I, I went to school in Charleston, South Carolina, and like it definitely like nostalgic. Sort of like, oh my oh, gosh, yeah. like it's it's one of the prettiest parts of the country for sure. I got to go down there. We uh, so before we get to the break, well, I guess we're approaching it pretty soon. We gotta discuss uh, Glenn Close, who mm-hmm. is the only actor to get nominated for an Oscar for this film. Mm-hmm. She's really good. Mom hair. Mm-hmm. Crying, yeah, she's got the cut. The <laughs> yeah, she's got the cut. <laughs> sure. Uh, I think that, yeah, it's like, why did she get the Oscar? I mean, Glenn Close is awesome, but I think that she's got a whole thing going on where she had had an affair with Kevin Costner because. I mean, come on. Alex, the dead guy. Kevin yeah. Costner. Uh, so curious to see that deleted scene. I know. Ah, come on. Yeah. Larry. It'd be great if he was like the bully of the, the friend group. <laughs> just he's just a yeah. dickhead. He's just nagging everybody and people like, ah, oh, this, this guy. Like, but it'd be like that. It'd be that friend that like a new person comes and they're like, why do you guys hang out with this asshole? And they're like, oh, it's Alex. <laughs> yeah, classic great. Alex. But honestly, I'm, I think it's good that Kevin Costner did not make it into it because he'd be like, yeah. What are you guys doing? <laughs> and we're like droning, like, my name is Alex. Uh, I had a friend named Two Socks. I came out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like Evan Costner. I think uh, when Kasdan did after this, he did Silverado, which I think mm-hmm. he wrote and directed, and he put a big part in it for Kevin Costner, which yeah. is kind of like part, I think, started to launch his. I mean, maybe it's weird to say, but I feel like Kevin Costner is one of those guys I feel like was always going to be a movie star, not because he was the best actor or the best, like, good looking, but he was just like a a charismatic, uh, yeah, R- kind of rugged looking guy, yeah. like tough guy. 
white um, good looking gentleman but, but yeah to the top. I, I think he felt so bad that he completely like not only it, it was like one of his first movies and not only did he like trim down his part he completely eradicated it from the movie <laughs> Uh, which again, I think it was a good choice, but he cast him in Silverado to sort of make up for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Kevin Kleins is a big part of that movie. Hmm. Gentlemen, it looks like we're coming up on a break. We're coming up on a break already. All right. Uh, at the end of the episode, we are going to add a song to our track listing Spotify playlist uh, in honor of the Big Chill, one of our favorite chilly songs, cold songs. We'll decide when we get there if we're going to be more or less specific. Uh, also, we have a game after the break. I've got a game for you guys. All right. So excited. get excited. Stay with us. Thank you to everyone for listening to Track Listing Podcast. It's 2021. We got a lot of great soundtracks for you guys. You can also find us on a variety of social media platforms. Oh, you sure can, Nick. If you want to find us on Instagram, you can reach out at, at TrackListingPodcast. That's right, Caleb. And you can also find us on Twitter at TrackListingPod. Tell your friends, tell your family about Track Listing Podcast. And we sure would appreciate it if you would rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. That's right, Caleb. And you can also find us on chess.com at TrackListingPodcast or Reddit.com at TrackListingPodcast. And now back to the episode. Back to the episode. Welcome back to the soundtrack to Big Chill. But before we get back, I've got a game prepared for you guys. This is an edition of Supergroup. One of my favorite games. This is the sequences edition. So you're trying to guess what you expect to hear fourth in the sequence. And uh, if you haven't played this game before, the answer might be cardinal directions. So clue one. Maybe North is in the artist or the song title. Clue two, the answer might be East in the artist or song title, and so on and so forth. Yeah. All right. You guys right. ready? Are we working together? We are working together. Okay, are holding do hands. This. Don't fuck this up again, Caleb. Shaking hands. <laughs> you guys ready for... the whole time. <laughs> never, never let go. Clue number one. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Clue one. We'll see you All right. Yeah, it hurt me to listen to it somehow. <laughs> it's a crazy. It's a, screeching. I don't know what. Something like it was a needle <laughs> in my brain. Uh, was that Jack White? It was Jack White or the White Stripes. I feel like it is Jack White. Yeah, um, or the Raconteurs, raconteurs or something. Uh, yeah. I, think, I don't think he actually sang lead on many of those Raconteurs tracks. Uh, so. Yeah, okay. I'm assuming just Jack, Jack White. Jack White, yeah. Um, We're in agreement. As far as what this song was, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard it before, but it, it was a take on, it was a kind of blues. So he was listing, like, you know, instead of saying like, oh, it's a... The Rolling Rain Blues, it's like, it was like a big, long run-on thing, and then something blues. Okay. So we could do, it's white or blue, maybe? Is the white connection? or blues, or maybe there's something to do with, like, rain, because it was like, he was talking about, like, the torrential downfall, something, something. Okay. Uh, anyway, so let's go into clue number two. Here's clue two. My eyes, my lord's a brim. I saw the tree, little tree, little. 
no gang, big deal Tell pop a wheelie in a Lamborghini standing on two wheels I got it racks on me, now I can buy me a cruise ship I just got an iPhone 8 and I already sold over 200 holes You can spell the money on me, come from out my clothes I'm trying to fix out where you're now, but finding stores You might have gone on, 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 money long, 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 long Heard Meek Mills in that. I should say that uh, my one blind spot when it comes to popular music is probably the most popular music of all time, which is what's happening right now. Uh, Kind of pop, hip hop, but yeah, yeah, I don't know this track. It could be Kodak Black. You think is that possible that that was Kodak Black for a second? Uh, White. Possible. There was so much fucking auto tune in that. That's like the weirdest version of hip hop where it's like everything's just. Is robot hell? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's hear track number three. I yeah. think let's let's move forward quickly. All right, here's clue three. There could be an old lover in her memory. If you need her so much more, why don't you say maybe she has. I feel like it has to be an artist thing because there was nothing. I don't like. I don't feel like that's a well-known enough song. I don't know what song that is. Do we? Do we know who that is? No. Is it? It almost could have been Michael McDonald there at the end. <laughs> I don't think no, it was. I no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying that. Uh, I didn't. It didn't seem like there were any indications that it was a song about something specific enough to have it be anything other than a love song, which makes me think that it goes to artist. Yeah. So you guys might want to pay attention to the lyrics. Fuck. <laughs> some of these tracks. Do you want to hear uh, clue one again? All right, let's do it. We'll see you Okay, jump right into clue two. Let's listen. My eyes, my lawyers are brim. I saw the tree little tree little. No gang, big deal. Turn Papa Willie in a Lamborghini standing on two wheels. I got it racks on me, now I can buy me a cruise ship. I just got an iPhone 8 and I already sold over 200 holes. You spell the money on me, come from out my clothes. I'm trying to fix out where you're now, but finding stores. You might as well go on, 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 on. Money long, 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 long. All the way out of Mercury. Anytime I come, I got I think. Jack White in the first one says 300, 300 at one point. 300 yeah. mile per hour. Two wheels. You did hear that correctly. Okay. 300, two wheels, but then there was also maybe three mil or something, 3,000. He yeah, said it, that he had how many uh, hoes stored in his iPhone? I think it might have been 3,000. 3,000? So if it's 300, oh. 3,000. You're on the right track, but maybe going the wrong way. Oh, okay. So it was 330. 30? That, that's not very impressive 30 hoes who doesn't have 30 hoes right, let's hear a track three uh, clue three again there could be 
an old lover in her memory. If you need her so much more, why don't you say? Maybe she has it in her mind that she. I thought you, I thought you guys might just know what that song is. <laughs> No, but if that's three, are we thinking that that's down to three? And then what? what's after three? A third? A third? <laughs> uh, third yeah, Eye sure. Blind? Yeah, sure. Third Eye Blind song? It's something with third in it. The first track was by the White Stripes with their song 300 Mile Per Hour Torrential Outpour Blues. Oh, yeah. The second track is by Future and Young Thug. That's the song 200. Okay. Oh, 200. 200. And so then 100. There's 100. Track three. I thought you guys would know that. That's uh, Quincy Jones and James Ingram with the song 100 Ways off of The Dude. Ah, James Ingram. I was close with Michael McDonald. So what would you maybe expect to hear for uh, the answer? Um, Like a zero, right? Even now, it's going down by 100, so something zero. Um, What what would be a song about zero? Is there there, (laughs) Smashing Pumpkins? Let's hear the answer. Let's hear the answer. That's good. Wanna go for a ride? That's right. Very good. That yeah. is uh, <laughs> numbers decreasing by 100, starting with 300. Oh, my God. That's, uh, that's a good category. I think you have, uh, I think you expect too much from us. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of spoon-fed us there, but thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. I love that uh, James Ingram, Quincy Jones track off the dude 100 Ways. Yeah, that was jam. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, I have that album, but uh, if there's one thing you know about me, I do not know song titles. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ready for round two? Please. Here's clue one. ACDC. Is that an ACDC track? I feel is like... it for those about to rock, we salute you, or is it shoot to thrill? Oh, I don't know. Again, okay. well, keep, keep that in the back of your yeah, brain. Yeah, we'll okay, keep it. Okay. All right, clue two. Here's Let's clue two. song i almost want to say that's ohio players that is correct okay okay um so acdc oh what is ohio it ohio players i don't again i don't know the names of songs i feel like it might be so off of uh easily for those about to rock is it like infatuation there's the album with the horse on it it might be on that one anyways uh let's hear clue number three
logical song. That's a super tramp. Yeah, the logic song. Logical song. I think the logic song off of uh, Breakfast in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, that is correct. Ohio, Ohio. It can't be. I can't. I can't think of anything to do with the artists. Yeah, it's got to be the titles. So if it's like thrill, logic, thrill, something, logic. Guys are doing good. (laughs) I know. I feel like we're 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 circling around it, but. are these log- logic? Was that was that an, an album of somebody? Oh, shit. Is it a is there a rapper with the, with a is that Kanye West something? Uh, you guys that, are getting warm. Are we? Mm-hmm. Thrills Thrillington. Um, <laughs> Percy Thrills Thrillington. Percy Thrills Thrillington. <laughs> That's an album. Um, no, I think yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I, I got it. I got okay, it. Okay. okay. So we got Can't Buy a Thrill, the uh, the first full-length album by Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then uh, Pretzel Logic. Pretzel Logic is, would be third. So what so, is the second one? Is um, What was the song we heard? It was Ohio Players. Can we hear the Ohio Players yeah. track again? Here's clue number two. Clue number two. something ecstasy or love or oh man I'm loving you yeah I'm, I'm like a little embarrassed. so we got uh what the royal scam we got yeah. katie lied we got uh peg asia asia, asia. excuse me is on um, peg, yeah. i think we just hear the song asia is next um asia by steely dan okay i think, I think asia. asia self uh, i think asia is gonna be our answer song here is the answer See if you guys can work your way backwards. Okay, okay. okay. Out of my dreams and into my life, you are the one, you are the one. Said I loved you my life. Cause this is more than love I feel inside. I don't know who that is, but that's in reference to Katie Lied. Ah, that's right. Very good, Caleb. Would have been the fourth one. So Katie Lied, and then working back, uh, Pretzel Logic. Pretzel Logic. Yes. I feel like it's the Royal Scam. Is Royal Scam the second one, or is that after Katie Lied? It's after. Shit. What is is, uh, Steely Dan's second album? You guys have got the sequence. Yeah, 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 yeah. The second track we heard was Ohio Players with the song Ecstasy from the album Ecstasy. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is <laughs> the album? Is something over ecstasy or what is it? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. That was Steely Dan's second full-length studio album, Countdown to Ecstasy. Countdown to Ecstasy. Yeah. So Jesus. that was um, <laughs> shit. <laughs> we heard ACDC with Shoot to Thrill, Ohio Players with Ecstasy, Supertramp with the Logical Song, and Michael Bolton <laughs> with Said I Loved You But I Lied. <laughs> In the Steely Dan albums are Can't Buy a yeah. Thrill from 72, Countdown to Ecstasy, 73, Pretzel Logic, 74, uh. and Katie Lied, 75. And then after that was Royal Scam and then Asia. Okay, okay. Oof, that's, a, that's like a... That's a good one. I 
am impressed with us that we got even close to that. It's <laughs> a hard question, man. And I pity Gosh, anybody. I pity any of our listeners that aren't uh, as much of a fan <laughs> of these fucking stupid bands as we are. <laughs> Super Tramp. And I don't know if anyone so. enjoys Super Group as much as we do. We're just like, we just want to be on Only Connect, man. Like every once in a while, uh, we'll we'll do one of these, and I just kind of imagine the listeners at home just being like, "Come on, idiots! It's obvious, and this is not one of those." Yeah. I don't know. You guys ready for round number three? I'm yes. ready. Here's clue number one. Pearl Jam, right? Yeah, now. yeah. That is correct. Okay. I knew it was Pearl Jam, but it, uh, it, I know I it's one of their. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember the name of the song, but um, let's let's click clue two. Okay. See if we can. Here's clue two. song but i i don't i can't picture who did it or what it's from what it's called sounding like dewey cox walk hard <laughs> not far off <laughs> you guys want to hear clue three yeah oh boy yeah i'm feeling a little lost let's hear clue three here we go and i've never been so alive Motorcycle drive by the cigarette ash flies in your eyes and you don't mind. You smile and say the world it doesn't fit with you. I don't believe you. You're so serene. Yeah, I'm not close to anything. You guys want to hear clue four? Let's hear clue four and see yeah. if we can try to piece this thing together. Oh. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds super familiar, but I, I don't think I can put my finger on it. Uh, I don't think it's Style Council, but it's kind of in that Something, era yeah. of uh, new wave bands that like transition to weird kind of like uh, loungy boat acts. <laughs> <laughs> Cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, so Cruise you guys were correct way. with uh, Clue 1. We did hear from Pearl Jam. <laughs> Do you guys know which uh, Pearl Jam song that is? Um, it's actually it's, play that one one more time. Yeah, I might be able to get it actually. Here's clue one.
No, I don't think I... It's from the album 10, and that is the track Black. Okay. (laughs) See, that's a... I think, uh... (laughs) Yeah, like, evidence of how how few uh, song titles I know. I think that I probably know maybe two or three Pearl Jam songs. (laughs) Uh, Second, we heard from Dwayne Eddy with the classic track Rebel Rouser. Black Uh, Rebel. Motorcycle Club. Uh... What was, can we hear the third clue again? And I've never been so alive. This is a view on a motorcycle drive by. The cigarette ash flies in your eyes and you don't mind. You smile and say the world it doesn't fit with you. I don't believe you. I think the sequence is Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. That is correct. I don't know who this is. Is that Culture Club at the end? Very warm. Oh, uh, Boy George. (laughs) Very close. But are we looking for song titles? Is the song called something club? Yes. Okay. Oh, shit. uh, So I got the sequence, but I do want to hear the last clue again, because I feel like I might be able to figure out who that is. Here's clue four. Shit, I know. Is it? It's not Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It's a flock of seagulls or something. No, no, no. no, no. You were warmer before. I know. It's Culture Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Culture Club. Uh, who is Boy, it? Yeah, who is it? You that is it. the track Club Tropicana by Wham. Wow. Oh, Wham. Yeah. Of course that's Wham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, that was Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, the San Francisco rock band formed in 1998. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> Wait, but who did the third track? I've never even heard that song. That is uh, Third Eye Blind with Motorcycle Drive-By. Oh, wow. That was a really um, un-Third Eye Blind, Third Eye Blind song. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Thank you guys for playing. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for putting yeah. that game. Yeah, no thanks. problem. Thanks, Nikki. You guys want to jump into track number seven on Big Chill? Let's yeah, maybe. This is Aretha Franklin with You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Yeah, Aretha Franklin. This was a song written by uh, Jerry Coffin and Carole King, a uh, couple. And uh, Carole King also did a version of this song on her 71 album Tapestry. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in music school, I remember the story that uh, Aretha was coming to give like a vocal masterclass or something like that. And she called Berkeley and asked if there was a way for her bus that she was traveling in, if there was a way for it to get to uh, Boston uh, without going uphill. <laughs> Because she apparently uh, does not do hills. 
Which I'm still trying to figure out exactly. <laughs> Doesn't like hills. Yeah. yeah, Aretha. I mean, it explains why she recorded so many great records in Muscle Shoals. <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill down in Muscle Shoals. <laughs> Low uh, country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great song. Uh, Carol King, Aretha Franklin's two of the best. Uh, I can't remember where where in the movie is this playing. This is towards the end. Uh, Chloe, Alex's ex girlfriend, or I mean ex girlfriend because he's dead. Uh, propositions Nick, and then Glenn Close is like making the decision in her head. She's like, "You can have sex with uh, Meg, Kevin Klein." <laughs> and then yeah, you can uh, basically give my friend a child. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, Sam and Karen end up together as well. Um, you know the the. <laughs> Richard went home and Karen was like, yeah, we're done. And then, like, you know, Sam, uh, 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 Tom Berenger's character. Yeah, Yeah. that part, I actually, it it seemed very uh, true to life. And then, I don't know, it just rang true in that she, she couldn't, wait to get rid of her like boring husband just like just just go just Just go and take care of the kids yeah and then the whole time she was kind of like i'm gonna fuck the guy that i always kind of maybe had a thing for her but it kind of sounds like she didn't actually until he got famous no i think he had yeah i mean you may be right in rewatch i think that he's like really because i feel like i was always kind of hinting and the never, fact that I like you yeah. and you never cared at all. Yeah, and now that I'm famous. Now, so I think th- I think is and then uh, they finally hook up and and he's they're kind of like wow. They hook up the next morning. It's like well, if you're ever in L.A., look me up. Yeah, <laughs> Richard would love to come by the set. Richard, my husband, who and you know he's going to be great. He's, he's there. Yeah, we like, can set that up. No problem. Yeah, good. Richard would love. Oh, we'll talk to the studio. I mean, I won't be there, but is yeah. She makes it very you. clear that like Richard's not going away. Um, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's the only one that doesn't get laid this whole weekend. <laughs> Everybody else is... Well, Glenn Close had a lonely weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I guess she had had the affair with Alex years ago. Kevin Klein says they're over it. And you're supposed to sort of be like, okay, this is the way of like, you get a freebie, Kevin Klein, And also, Meg gets a baby. But there's... You don't have to have sex with the person for them to get pregnant you know like there's a way to do it i also think that we're glossing over the kind of the the largest chunk of a betrayal with a uh <laughs> with an affair especially an affair with a close friend of both of you mm. is much more about the emotional aspect than just like well you got to do it with him so i'll do it with her we're all square <laughs> and then the next morning she's like do you have to be in such a good mood <laughs> like flash forward to a week it's like <laughs> I'm never going to hear the end of it. It was your idea, Glenn Close. Yeah. Oh, man. That kid's going to come after that uh, running shoe fortune. Yeah, the, oh, man. the Nike fortune. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I will say it's a little bit of a shame that uh, Kevin Costner got cut out because he would have been supremely fuckable in 1983. Like, this is like real... Prime cost. Talking about like full head of hair. Like, (laughs) oh my God. The Costner mane in full effect, 1983. That's all one could ask for in the 80s was a full head of hair. Yeah, Yeah. I know. (laughs) Dude, nobody nobody could blame Glenn Close. Can't be in the same room as Costner (laughs) in the 80s. Come on. Uh, (laughs) I did did like that uh, William Hurt's character, who was like, you know, he's the most cynical, um, but Chloe, I guess played by Meg Tilly, is sort of the only one that sort of gets him and like he makes like a really off color like cynical joke and nobody laughs but she laughs and you're like oh yeah because like 
Nick was probably closest with Alex. You know, I think they maybe understood each other on a level that nobody else in the friend group probably did. And that's why he's like all mysterious. And that's why I think Chloe and he ended mm-hmm, up together, mm-hmm. you know, but it made sense. I always thought that was kind of a cool touch, but I think in this movie, one of the, the parts of it that really I found kind of touching is the, the dynamics between characters that are unsaid where even at the, the opening scene, when people are showing up to the funeral, it's like, when they come in, like who do they sit next to? And it's these yeah. people they haven't seen in a long time, and they like there's all these like looks and kind of squeezes, and then like uh, Goldblum comes in, and everybody looks the other way, and you're like, what's so bad about Goldblum? <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's so bad about Goldblum? Is the oh, name. you had a Jewish friend? Is that such a thing to be ashamed of? Come on, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's a little weird, but uh, <laughs> he looks great in this movie, by the way. Oh man, this is young uh, Goldblum. Yeah, he's just blooming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think this would have been probably one of his early movies i mean he was in um earth girls are easy earth girls are easy Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> yeah he had a small cameo in annie hall that's the fly right. when that's is right. the fly the fly was later uh, yeah that was like was. the jacked gold bloom phase this is like the string string bean gold bloom yeah you know? he hadn't been through the recombinator yet yeah uh. dude he was huge in um in the fly <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, all right gold bloom what's up dude you guys want to jump into track eight? Let's do it. This is Smokey Robinson and the Miracles with I Second That Emotion. And a taste of honey's worse than none at all. Oh, little girl, in that case, I don't want no part. I do believe that that would only break my heart. Oh, but if you feel like loving me, then you got the notion. I second that emotion. Yeah, I second that emotion that uh, the song title kind of was born out of a uh, kind of a happenstance situation between Smokey and Motown producer Al Cleveland, where they were on a shopping trip and Smokey Robinson was buying some pearls for his wife. He wanted to give her a gift after she had two uh, children that like passed away uh, prematurely after birth. And Smokey picked out the pearls and said, like, hey, Al, like, what do you think of these? And he, instead of saying, I second that motion, which was kind of a common phrase in, like, American yeah. meetings or whatever. I second it, yeah. He uh, said, I second that emotion. And Smokey said, oh, that's good. And they, uh, you know, went back home and wrote the song that day. There was another track on the soundtrack that uh, in research, I can't cool. remember which one it was. It was a similar story where it was, like, the songwriters were out. And so they overheard somebody say something. And they, like, jotted it down. And I was like man uh songwriting used to be so easy before yeah. there were like because it's like okay so pop songs have only existed for about 15 years <laughs> it's all open yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> anything you can throw at for it sure it's like instead of saying goodbye how about we say hello 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 <laughs> hello, hello hello goodbye yeah i was thinking about it and i said what if instead of saying goodbye we decide to say hello. genius. genius. Yeah. So we go, we go A, and then we go B, and then we go back up to A. Then we go to G. <laughs> Never heard it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a also a favorite song of Jerry Garcia, who uh, performed it nonstop with Grateful Dead. It uh, showed up in a lot of their concerts and uh, bootlegs. Yeah, yeah. Nice man. Very cool. 
This is playing uh, the next morning. Uh, we had kind of covered it earlier, but um, it's clear that Richard is still going to be in the picture. It's clear that Glenn Close is a little like um, resentful. <laughs> like I think in the moment uh, she was like, "Oh yeah, like you know, this is a good balance. This will balance the equation of everything." Uh, but I think she forgot, like, you know, for the next hour and a half, she's going to have to hang out with Jeff Goldblum on a couch and, like, yeah. watch him play with the video camera. <laughs> and, like, like, keep trying to roll joints. Yeah, and he's, like, touching her feet, and she's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm uh, a little pissed. And, yeah. I really wish that uh, that there was, like, a Richard Linklater, like, 10 years later. Oh, like a like, boyhood version. <laughs> another weekend together, and it's like, it's like, uh, well... He is my son. It's like, yeah, because of that one night I told you you could do it. It's like, yeah, but I mean, she's still a part of our life. And it's just like, everything's even messier and grosser. Yeah, that's just only going to get awkward. Dude, I don't even think you have to wait 10 years. I think like three days later, <laughs> all of this falls apart. It's like, okay. He's like, wait, I thought you guys were going to like raise the baby with me. I thought we like talked about this. Did we not talk about that? <laughs> I think <laughs> no, there should be a, out of our house. a big chill the every shoes year. Yeah. Just one of the characters should uh, have killed themselves. So. <laughs> Obviously, I think Jeff Goldman no. is next to go. There's a, there's a darkness. Oh, no. No, Even take. his closest friends are rejecting him. Oh, no. Poor Goldman. There'd be a lot of like, oh, he was my closest friend. Yeah. And he, I don't even know why he did it. Yeah. He was so happy and he was so loved. It's like, really? I feel like everybody was kind of mean to him. I'm telling you, man, the big chill, too. We got to write it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah it's it's it goes from like quarter life crisis to well i guess like i don't know what 30s crisis is but people some say sometimes people say um it's quarter life crisis mm-hmm. but i think if yeah, maybe if we whip out a pencil and paper I, we might be in our midlife crisis right now <laughs> yeah that's true no that's what i'm saying <laughs> write that down you guys want to jump into track nine let's yeah. do it this is procol harem with a wider shade of pale is the uh, first song that Procol Harum uh, ever recorded. And uh, I guess at some point the organ player on that track, uh, Matthew Fisher, tried to file multiple lawsuits because he felt like he deserved a uh, royalty for, I guess, his credit in maybe helping write the song. And he was he tried to file a lawsuit four times be- between 72 and 2005, and each lawyer told him that he had no chance. And then I guess his fifth lawyer said, we've got a solid case. And they took it to the House of Lords, and uh, he was awarded royalties on the song. I think that he, I mean... He deserves it. It's, uh, he was definitely told to just do Bach, and then he kind of uh, did it bad enough to where it was original. Right? <laughs> I guess the judge was a, uh, or the master lord, yeah. was a big fan of uh, organ music. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, was a, yeah, man, you deserve this. At a certain point, they're like, well, you guys are just doing Blue Eyes Soul, which is like, I mean, not that original. And then, uh, you know, some of these lyrics look like they're Chaucer lyrics. And then yeah. this guy's doing box. Yeah, so what's what's being, 
you know, everybody deserves a chunk of this fucking plagiarism pie. I love this song, by the way. I should it's, say it's a great song. It's one of like the best songs of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, a great song. you know, it's inherently nostalgic somehow. Like, it is inherently nostalgic. It's also a mishmash of everybody fucking snatching and grabbing from yeah. everywhere, which is kind of like, I think if we're all honest about the best art, it's all like uh, when somebody's completely unbridled in their appropriation, mm-hmm. I feel like that's when a lot of the best <laughs> things can happen. Yeah. And uh, and saying that this is like their first track, this is like a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of people that are unconcerned with the consequences of their actions. And if you've seen the uh, 1988 film with Nalendai, uh, you may remember there's an instrumental version by saxophonist King Curtis that plays over the top of the film. It's a really good cover of this track. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing song. It's, um, it's playing when they basically describe why this movie is called The Big Chill. Uh, they're like, it's a, they're, they're all hanging out. They're just chilling. They're just chilling. <laughs> but they're like, it's like a cold war out there. And uh, Lawrence uh, Kasdan was describing why this film is called The Big Chill. And it's, he said, it's about a cooling process that takes place for every generation when they move from the outward directed, more idealistic concerns of their youth to a kind of self-absorption. Uh, a self-interest which places their personal desires above those of the society or even an ideal. Yeah. So, yeah. It's true, man. It's a story of everybody coming to terms with the consequences of getting everything they ever wanted and also uh, <laughs> maybe getting your dick blown off in the war. That's true. I mean, if I was like stuck in a house for like a month with like all my college friends just sitting around getting fucked up, I don't know. That might be kind of a nightmare. <laughs> Did you say a month? <laughs> I feel like they're month. there forever in this movie. It's like they're supposed to be there days. for three I think it's days. A long weekend. They, they have like forty meals together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's recognizing your limitations. I think like it takes place long enough after college that you're like, well, we had some great ideas, and um, all of our dreams probably aren't going to come true. Even though in this, as Caleb sort of mentioned, like yeah, they're they're all crushing it. <laughs> like they're doing really well. Yeah, one of the. Uh, one of the ladies that's staying in the house, her husband, uh, who wasn't friends with them in college, mm-hmm. you know. Karen's husband. Yeah. yeah, Karen's husband. They come downstairs in the middle of the night, and he's just sitting at the table eating a sandwich and just kind of not being very sympathetic about the fact that Alex has, like, <laughs> taken his own life. Yeah. He's just eating a sandwich and drinking milk, and he's like, you know, <laughs> it just happens. You never really, you never really know. You just kind of have to go with it. Yeah, what, what are you going to do? And they're, like, looking at each other like, who is this monster? Yeah, he's like, look, I didn't know the guy, but... um, Your friend Alex? Yeah, look, nobody ever said it was going to be fun, okay? Yeah, life? So just roll up your sleeves, get to work, <laughs> and if you, if you knock yourself out, then that's your problem. Anyways, and that's the last I'm going to go to bed. Him. <laughs> yeah. There's a... I, I think that's a boomer, a little bit of a boomer fan, fantasy when uh, everybody is like, man, when we were in college... Everything was about like making the world better. Yeah. And you know, it's like magical. We felt like it was going to happen. They went to college in the 70s. And it was like, like a crazy time. And now it's like, now they're all looking at each other like, ah, oh, we all got jobs. And, I, and then it's like, if somebody was in college or maybe, maybe he's supposed to be a little bit older, like he wasn't a, you know, not, he was never idealistic. And then he, now he's in the Reagan and he's like, fuck everybody. Fuck you and fuck you. And I don't care. <laughs> You're, like, you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. You're cool and fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Look, life's about getting what you want whenever you want it. 
I'm enjoying this mayonnaise sandwich at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> in someone else's home. Okay. He starts complaining about his own children too. You know, he's like, you have kids and, uh, you just can't live your life like you want to live it because you have to do what your kids want all the time. The guy's a huge drag. He says a really weird thing that's like, uh, it's so specific and it rings true for some reason. This is a really good movie. The more I think about it, it's a really good movie. But at one point, he's just like, he's like, oh, you guys are nothing like uh, like I thought you'd be. You know, I heard about you guys for so long and I just, I pictured you different. I don't know why. It's like, fuck you man <laughs> sorry what did you want me to be like I don't know they basically like kick him out of the house <laughs> Tom Berenger's like I'm on TV you don't I'm you probably have a good sense of what I look like I'm yeah. on a television program yeah, that's right you can just look at the book jacket cover of any people magazine and you can see Jeff Goldblum's picture <laughs> Also, the scene where he tries to pull the stunt that he does in his TV show, like the Magnum P.I. style thing where he like leaps into a convertible. Yeah, pulls the uh, Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, William Hurt's character has been out driving around and he the cops follow him home. Yeah. And uh, to kind of, you know, once the cop sees that this guy from TV is like staying at the house, he's like, oh, look at that. J.T. Lancer. J.T. Lancer. Do you mind? I'm, you know, going to be willing to let this whole thing go if you can show me how you jump into the uh, convertible. Yeah. He's like, okay, here we go. And uh, almost breaks his leg trying to pull this stunt off in real life. <laughs> I feel like that, and, that bit makes more sense if like the show has been canceled or something. Mm. And maybe it has been. I don't know. It, it, it's possible that it could be in reruns or something. I just think it was be? like, it's a stunt double it's doing stunt it. Double. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, those stunt doubles, guess. man, they really know their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine the, the policeman being like, all right, well, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> see you later. I'll see you around. Yeah. All right, Mr. Cooper. Uh, I'll I, see you. I'm embarrassed, and I should leave, but I'm also the town's EMT, so uh, if you call, I'm just going to come right back, so let's take a look at that. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Klein's character has made good friends with the cop that yeah. comes by because he's, you know, saved their uh, estate from getting robbed a couple of times. Yeah. And uh, William Hurt's character is like, oh, now you're friends with the cops. You've <laughs> yeah. really changed, man. Yeah. He's like, this is my house. Fuck you, man. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of sympathize with that. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, William Hurt, as I said, I think he nails the character. I'm, I'm very intrigued. I feel like we all have a friend like that that's just like choosing a difficult path. William, you know? William Hurt is my friend Dwayne from college. Just right. 100%. They even look the same. <laughs> I, I love William Hurt. I'll never, I think he, there, it, maybe it doesn't, it's not a record anymore, but I remember, it probably is actually, he got nominated for an Oscar uh, for a small role in History of Violence as kind of a villain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at the time, and probably still now, it was a record for the least amount of screen time for an Oscar nomination. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. It's literally like, it, was, it, it yeah. was kind of, a, I think Cronenberg actually directed that film, is based on a mm-hmm. graphic novel, but it was pretty like a lower budget film and uh it happened and he's literally only in one scene he's kind of a character that looms large in the film and then he just he like has like a speech and i can't remember if he dies or something he's just like kind of in his office he's just in one room the whole time and i was like that's uh that's fucking gravitas yeah <laughs> that's fucking awesome there's a uh, yeah there's some uh youtube video that's about like uh the one and done scene like people that crush it and like one of them is from um what is it network what's the movie where it's like um 
Jim Carrey's um, favorite movie. <laughs> or, I'm mad as hell and I'm yeah, not yeah, that's, that's a televangelist that goes crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Or he beca- sort of becomes a televangelist. Anyway, right. but like there's there's a scene in that that's just like one guy that shows up for one scene and like destroys and then just leaves. And I, uh-huh. think I remember it was, in that movie. I remember it was Alec Baldwin from uh, Glenn Gary, yeah. Glenn Ross. Oh, that's right. I feel like it's... Always uh, be closing. I think it's uh, maybe age poorly and also Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Suck my fucking balls, you piece watch. of shit. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie where that guy brags about his watch. <laughs> my favorite scene. Goes in uh, and yells at a bunch of broken men. Yeah. Guys, we're pulling into the last track. This Let's is track number 10. This is The Exciters with Tell Him. Right. This uh, was a song written by Burt Burns, who uh, used a pseudonym when he wrote the song as uh, Burt Russell. And uh, he wrote a lot of big hits in the 60s, uh, Hang On Sloopy, Twist and Shout. He's got some music in My Best Friend's Wedding. Just uh, pause that for a second. Sure. He had the name... Sorry. Look, Burt Burns. Burt Burns. That's too crazy. Burt Burns. And he had an opportunity to change one name. Yeah. No one's going to know who I am. I'm not going to get outed by my label. He's like, ah, oh, man, I hate my name. Burns. You're like, Wait, no, uh, the Burt is the bad part. <laughs> it sounds like he's got a little bit of that John Cougar Mellencamp syndrome. But um, something I thought was kind of funny about this track was Dusty Springfield once said that this song inspired her to make the move from folk music to rock and soul music. Nice. And, uh, you know, for the time... Or, you know, like the time we're in, this song just sounds, you know, very tame. But at that time, Dusty heard this song and was just like, oh, my God, this song rocks. I'm doing it all wrong. Yeah. But this was like a total game changer. Big eye opener for Dusty. At the time, yeah, like Dusty Springfield, she she was a pop star in England. But she also, I think more famously, she was a host of like a variety show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she was responsible for... Basically, she was the one that was having black artists from America on, I guess it was the BBC. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was, you know, I mean, I think America was like very cut and dry racist. And England was kind of like, I mean, we're kind of racist. But if one person's like, we're going to have this band on, everybody's kind of like, I don't like it, but I'm too afraid to say anything about it. And so it's just like there was, I think Dusty Springfield was the one who was just like, yeah, we're just having them on. And then like once the precedent was set and then it was just kind of, you know, it was like a normal thing. So she was obviously like uh, in love with like the, the black music of America at the time. Mm -hmm. It was a big influence. Was it Blue Eyed Soul? Is that what she ended up doing a lot of? Blue Eyed Soul, very (laughs) vocal harem. Uh, Yeah. 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 (laughs) One one of the songs that I considered uh, as a recommendation for uh, this episode was an Irish band, and it's like one of the few songs where you hear somebody singing with like a, and it's like a deeply Irish accent, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's like weird to hear it only in that you're like, oh yeah, it's totally possible to sing. You could sing this song with a British accent, yeah, 
And it's like, it's not just that everybody's singing sounds American. It's like, no, everybody's like really trying to sound American. Making a conscious choice. That's what, that's what has baffled me for years. It's like a real, like a real choice. Yeah. And, uh. I still don't get it. I still don't get why everyone (laughs) sings sounds American. It's because yeah. everybody was... It's usually not the other way around, that's right. for sure. Yeah, yeah. They were so in love with like the these records, these old like uh, R&B records, and that's R&B and like, uh, you know, blues records. That's And they just they just had to they had to have that sound because if you, if you sounded too local, it was cheesy and fucking gross. Yeah. That's why Oasis is the only real <laughs> British <laughs> band. The only real <laughs> British band. St- the, those Gallagher's, man. They're st- <laughs> They're still just railing on each other on Twitter. I know. Just calling each other potatoes. Like, like, the only way, like, they have to keep stoking the fire man. to stay relevant every yeah. once in a while. Like, eh, I'll just insult my brother over Twitter. It's so like a PR stunt that just, like, never ends. It's like, I think someone has seen their record sales, like, you know, chart or something, and they're like, oh, yeah, if I send some tweet over like lob some tweet at my potato brother like there's like a slight uptick in our like the story morning glory sells a few more copies <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. there is nothing more distinctly british than hating the person that you have the most in common with <laughs> yes. it's like uh and there's you have nothing nobody that you have more in common with than the person that's literally family and you're like this there's something about this guy that's not me and i hate it yeah, the neighboring village uh, they, uh, those fuckers in dooling you know those guys two blocks over they talk different walk different you guys would probably be friends it's like, it's yeah. like you guys are all on like a little island together <laughs> guys that is the soundtrack to the big show we do need to rate the soundtrack uh rate and review uh we haven't agreed upon uh beforehand on what our units of rating are going to be oh is it going to be unwelcome house guests is it going to be uh dicks blowed off in vietnam <laughs> 15 <laughs> pairs of nike shoes Ooh, it might be quaaludes oh yeah ludes yeah yeah the bygone drug mm-hmm. Out of, uh, <laughs> can you still find quaaludes in can't just gone can't find them they're gone yeah we, we had some i always love the uh 70s like early 80s like rando pills uh nick <laughs> nick and this the william hurt's character had just like the red scream <laughs> screamers laughers, uppers down jumpers. as laughers yeah <laughs> yeah when i hear like stories of of like the 70s uh like in baseball you know it's like going from town to town and talking about all of, like oh yeah you got these pills for the seventh inning you got these two yeah. for the second inning <laughs> these ones to go to sleep these. anyways out of uh 70s pills out of these quaaludes 15 uh, and also, I mean, this might be kind of a hard question on this particular soundtrack, but what is your most and least favorite track? Oh, God. I mean, I, I assume I'm going first. Is that all right? Yeah, you are. <laughs> <'Cause> I- <laughs> I'm looking at the piece of paper. Yeah, Chris, uh, lead us <laughs> off. Uh, I mean, Procol Harum is, I, I, I love that song, but uh, I mean, I would say Marvin Gaye. I heard it through the grapevine. is uh, is a super jam uh, for sure. I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go with Marvin Gaye is my favorite song. Least favorite song? It's tough, man. Maybe, jeez, maybe Joy to the World because it seems a little Ooh. out of place. But I'd love that song too. I don't know. I I have a tough time picking a, a bad song on this. Yeah. That being said, uh, this is a, a near perfect soundtrack. I think one of the only things it may suffer from is that in the movie, I mean, we have some uh, some amazing songs that don't make it to the 
to the album. We've got the band. We've got Spencer Davis Group. We've got uh, Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, we we've got, got Credence. Yeah, Credence. We've Beach got Boys, Beach Boys, Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. We should so, say there is a second volume. So if we yeah. ever uh, just feeling that itch to talk about boomers again, we could always uh, reconvene. <laughs> Dust off the old album. Same I don't time, know if I've ever, I'm ever going to have a boomer itch, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of versions of this soundtrack. I'm glad that uh, we picked the original, though. Yeah, yeah. This is like this is the the real deal. But uh, because some of those uh, amazing tracks don't make it to the ridge, I'm gonna take off 0.5 quaaludes. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna give this a 14.5 quaaludes. Nice. Five. All yeah. right. That's enough quaaludes to kill a man. Any <laughs> of us. Yeah. Apparently, quaaludes <laughs> were very strong. <laughs> yeah. And the scene where Goldblum is like rolling a joint and decides to just down a full pill. Oh, how much like, should I take? Uh, oh, it's like kind of scary. Wolf of Wall Street too. That, that drug is all over that movie. <laughs> yeah. Man. I do love the idea of just like uh, your one friend who's annoying you and you're just like toss him a quaalude. <laughs> this will get him to pipe down. <laughs> that was like just cuts a, to him passed out. We that, didn't talk about that. Uh, one of my favorite scenes uh, from this movie is the morning after and it's uh, it's showing everybody kind of getting up and they're interacting with each other in the morning mm-hmm. and it's tiered with like how fucked up they were the, like the night before. Yeah. And so it's like the people that were like, oh yeah, like it was a, you, you know, and then they're having breakfast and then it's like, I think it's Goldblum the last one to get up. Yeah, it's it ends like, with Glenn Close and Goldblum. Glenn Close, yeah, she's, yeah, she's like, if you keep out. sleeping in this much, you're going to miss all the drama. <laughs> yeah, 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 but there's that one scene when she's been, you know, yacked out of her mind because William Hurt's like, you're sleepy, <laughs> but you don't want to go to sleep. Well. I have. Yeah. <laughs> A solution. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, maybe it's been a while, but I do relate to the idea of like uh, a big like weekend with friends and it's kind of like the tears of dirt bags so they're like getting up later and later and just like, oh my God. Yeah. Just leave me alone another hour. <laughs> you guys get up at eight? Are you out of your mind? Yeah, they're still getting up pretty early. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Okay, so uh, Nick, it's your turn. Right, zero to 15 70s quaaludes yeah do you have a real quick uh, most favorite least favorite uh least favorite song i will also go with joy to the world by three really? Night. yeah okay, okay. you know i mean it's a good song me, don't it's, it's got to be my least favorite on the soundtrack for favorite track i'm gonna go with the temptations ain't too proud to beg oh man it's mm. such a great track Man, such a good song temptations are always uh, also like really awesome to watch old live performances of we talked about the choreography, which is always on point. And, um, yeah, the movie was great. I had never watched it before and, uh, definitely kind of like hit close to home a little bit, especially Absolutely. in this time where we're not allowed to really get together with uh, a big group of friends. Bum, yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it fucking kind of destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of destroyed me. I was in a weird mood until you guys came over today. <laughs> it's, it's kind of what happened when I watched that Tim Heidecker, uh, that dark comedy that, the comedy the comedy yeah yeah when i watched that too it was like man this is like kind of weirdly close to home made me feel weird for a couple of days also had great music in the movie but no soundtrack officially but uh for big chill i'm gonna have to give this a 14.0 70s lewds that is a lot of uh spicy lewds all right caleb all right um my favorite track i think has got to be i heard it through grapevine just because i think that's one of my all-time favorite songs favorite uh versions of the song and that's one of the songs that's been covered like uh very successfully by a ton of people 
And even though the Marvin Gaye version isn't the technical original, I think, you know, that's like the spiritual original and my favorite version. And that's like one of my favorite songs. I think my least favorite might be the Exciters with Tell Him, which okay. I think it's a little jarring to be at the end of the soundtrack. Cause it's kind of, it's very chirpy, early 60s kind of girl group stuff, which is not, you know, it's all, still a song that I like quite a bit, but uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of similar songs that maybe I prefer to it. I'd agree that it's it does sound weird to end it on. You yeah. kind of want to end a, a funeral movie on a somber <laughs> note. And it's, <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing. Yeah. Is like, uh, your guys' least favorite song, The Joy of the World, actually serves uh, the film very well as like a capstone. And, and uh, yeah, the... I guess in, in sequencing in the soundtrack, they were a little bit hamstrung with like um, some rights issues and trying to get people on board. And I think once the first uh, edition of the soundtrack did such big business, they were uh, they were able to get all the stones and people on board for the second edition, which is another great fucking compilation. Yeah, that's uh, thanks to Roger Nichols. Um, so in rating it, this, yeah, growing up, I think this was... Um, a soundtrack that I always knew to be one of my, one of the best soundtracks. Um, there's nothing original to the film, which is a knock on it. Um, everybody knows even in 1983 that these are like some of the best songs to be written. So I can't give it any higher than 14 Quaaludes, but for somebody of my BMI, 14 Quaaludes is more than enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All and, right. Uh, it's a great soundtrack. Thanks guys for listening. Yeah, thank oh, you. Man. Caleb. Great pick. Great Excellent pick. Yeah. Excellent movie. Yeah. Great soundtrack. We do need to move into our recommended track, and that is our favorite cold-oriented song. Define it how you will. Cold, chilly songs. Uh, would you like me to lead off? Go for it. All right. So uh, my pick is actually uh, predates the film just by a few years. This is from 1980. Uh, the artist is Grauzone, which is a uh, Swiss band. Um, this is like, I guess, their one. I'm going to say, quote unquote, hit, like a little bit of a new wave hit, maybe uh, mostly in Europe. It's called Ice Bar, uh, which is, I guess, a German is literally um, uh, translated to uh, Ice Bear, which is a polar bear. Mm. And this is a track that I, I actually listen to quite regularly. I find it uh, delightful and dancey, and it even sounds cold. And uh, <laughs> hopefully there's nothing offensive in the lyrics. They're not in English, but I love this song. Yeah, it's kind of a it's a groove song. There's not uh, there's not big like chunks of melody, but uh, I, it's a it's a song that I like quite a bit, and I recommend everybody to check it out. It doesn't isn't it's not a song that is um, lends itself very well to be clipped down to a, a clip that we can play. But uh, that's Ice Fire. Very nice, Chris. You got a song for us? Yeah, I got a song uh, from a movie that maybe we can do one day, but. Um We'll keep the podcast going. <laughs> probably not. I'm guessing. No, no, I'm prob- oh. I'm, no, no, I'm guessing we can probably not do this album. Oh, Triumph of the Will. Okay. <laughs> it, it's a song called Break the Ice by John Farnham, and uh, it's from the movie Rad, 
the 1986 BMX movie. Yeah. I've been trying to find a copy of that for ages. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And Perfect. It stars Bill <laughs> Allen and Lori Laughlin. Uh, and I, I can't remember what she's up to these days. But Lori Laughlin. <laughs> I think she's still in trouble for that SAT. <laughs> no, I heard she's a. Uh... Scott Free. Scott Free. She's oh, on the okay. yeah. All right. No, I was just kidding around. But um, yeah, this movie. This movie Jeez. This movie is uh, uh, really good. Uh, and the soundtrack great. is insane. So let's uh, just, just to get a taste of what this movie might be like, let's hear Break the Ice. Just to make it through this night, gotta feel it right through my skin. And it's cutting like a knife. Oh man, now you got me all stoked on rad. <laughs> got we'll do it. it. Let's do okay. it. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> we gotta do it. But uh, yeah, John Farnham was a uh, he was like a teen sensation uh, in Australia, uh, British born, uh, but was is like a big Australian singer. And he, I guess he's a legend over there. But um, he made some pretty cheesy songs. <laughs> and this one's this one stuck out to me. Yeah, man. Uh, that whole uh, soundtrack to Rad is pretty rad. So it's like maybe maybe you originally wrote it for like uh, the Cutting Edge or something. Yeah. Jimmy those lyrics around a little bit. <laughs> it's like ah, nobody rides a BMX on the ice. Yeah. It's like no, no. It's uh, you know it's metaphorical. So you break through the ice. But we're on a bicycle. Yeah, we're on a bicycle. Well, the, the other song on it is uh, Thunder in Your Heart. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, it's like throw a dart. <laughs> watch this movie. <laughs> Heat of a Lion. <laughs> oh, thank you, Chris. All right, Nikki, what do you have for us for a chili pick? I've got a song from 1983. This is off the album Cold Blooded. And the track is also called Cold Blooded. This is by a little known artist named uh, Rick James. Let's hear a little bit of Cold Blooded. showing you guys this like uh, clip that i found uh, mtv has started putting out this new uh, little series called you had to be there and uh, there's a clip of the vmas from like 85 or 86 and it's the after it's the after party for the vmas and there's a lot of uh, awesome musicians there and they you know rick james comes up to the camera and he gives a little uh, interview about the whole night and kind of like what he's up to. And it's kind of sad to watch because he's so awesome Yeah, in the mid eighties and he's very, very well-spoken. Yeah. And he just went so downhill. 
Yeah, he was like a super clever, like uh, very intelligent guy. Yeah, and like you know, and, and just sort of like uh, soft spoken and yeah, man, uh, sort of uh, philosophical. And then like years later, he's like <laughs> just a disaster, man. It's kind of like what happened to Sly Stone a little oh, bit. God, turned into a monster. There's something about these, yeah, this like uh, this era of '80s production where everything is like uh, it's a cocaine hysteria where it's like. Every sound is particular, and this is a party. <laughs> You're like, okay. You can kind of hear some of the princi- right. princiness in that track. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, they were. It's like, Each you know. sound by itself, nothing infecting each other. Yeah. We're having a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, but check out that uh, series called uh, You Had to Be There. It's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. All right, guys, that is the soundtrack to Big Chill. Hey. Thank you for the uh, great pick, Caleb. Oh, right. thank you. Yeah, good That's to see you guys. Great pick. Yeah. This has been a nice reunion. Yeah. Uh, 15 years from now, when we all see each other again, um, what song is going to be playing at y'all's funeral? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like MGMT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, I think it's Chris's pick next. Oh, no, it's my pick next. Oh, yeah, it's your pick. Yeah, we might be recording an episode right after this one today. There so. might be another edition of Supergroup next week, so tune in. Oh, yeah. Time to make some coffee. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.